Welcome to the House Top Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Abair, as he teaches God's Word. Well, welcome back uh, to Facebook Live, Oikos Ministries uh, uh, weekly presentation and teaching. I'm your host, Terrell Abair, and uh, tonight we'll be going through the book of Mark, chapter 4, talking about the parable of the sower. And so last week we started this, and uh, I really enjoy teaching in series, but in particular this passage uh, it's been one of those that all throughout my ministry I've, I've visited and revisited this, have been enamored with uh, the, all the moving parts of the sower and, uh, and, the, and the soil. So last week we spoke predominantly about the sower himself. Excuse me, let me back up. We spoke about parables and uh, the use and Jesus's use of parable and how to understand the parables. And really that was uh, the real key uh, to get along with God and go back with, uh, get along with Jesus and uh, really get your understanding open. And so if you want to go back for what we talked about last week, you could always visit our website at www.housechurchesusa.com. We have lots of uh, teaching materials, and this, is, can, this teaching in particular can be found on there, and you could uh, tune in and see that and hear that teaching live. So well, I'm not going to go back over it tonight, but the main two things we covered last week were the understanding of parables and the ministry of the sower himself. And Isaiah exhorted us, or Jeremiah, excuse me, exhorted us, do not sow among the thorns. And we really uh, looked at the sower's duty on preparing the soil, in particular the the work of a John the Baptist type ministry to prepare you the way of the Lord, to break up the fallow ground and really do our diligence to not waste precious seed, but plant it in good soil. But uh, when Jesus gave this parable, Mark chapter four, I'll go ahead and read it. In, it's 20 verses, but it's worth reading uh, each week and uh, to start the message. And it gives you the context and keeps it fresh and we'll keep it going. Again, he began to teach by the sea and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in, in it on the sea. The whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty and some hundred. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him and the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And so last week we covered up to this point talking about uh, covering uh, the understanding of parables 
And then we covered this one point from this next verse. The sower sows the word. And so we, we dealt with the ministry of the sower. And now let's pick it up. We'll keep reading to the full context. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately, takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are those ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So there's the full context of the parable of the sower. And I'll keep reiterating that the, the real issue last week to understand parables you have to get along with jesus you get the big event and the big meeting is not where you're going to i mean literally when he said a sower went out to sow some fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air came and immediately snatched it up others fell among the stony places and uh it had, didn't have much depth and so it sprang up instantly immediately it sprung up but when tribulation and persecution and affliction arise because of the word it it, uh, immediately they were offended because it, uh, they didn't have much depth of soil and others fell among the thorns and it sprung up and it began to bear fruit. But it, the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches choked the word. And so he gives this parable. He just says the, I mean, he just doesn't give any explanation. And then he said, that's it. That was the end of the sermon. And it's really a bizarre type teaching. Certainly a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, a hidden meaning behind it. Uh, but the disciples came to him and said, why? Why can't we? What did you mean by this? And he began to explain the use of the idea of parables uh, in his teaching that literally it wasn't so people would understand it. So they couldn't. It sh there should be an intriguing interest when you hear the word of God that should say, I must know what that means. And if you're not willing to pursue that, I can tell you right now. Uh, you're going to have problems uh, sooner or later. And so tonight we're going to start with the wayside here, the wayside here. I was preaching in a men's conference just recently, and I'd never had the idea that I'm fixing to expound to you in just a moment. As a matter of fact, I was in my message. I was going to go as I normally do to teach on this uh, wayside here. And, uh, and, you know, the when you in our American roads, uh, the, right on the side, of course, hardly anybody walks anymore on the side of the road. It's kind of dangerous nowadays, but it's all trampled down. And it's uh, it's just not conducive to grow anything. And that is always my understanding of a wayside. But uh, when you start looking at it, I mean, the Holy Ghost just poured this in my spirit while I was preaching. I didn't even check up. The spirit started saying it. And so I just let it rip. And my goodness, I had to I've been teaching on it ever since because I want to make sure I get it sunk into my understanding. So those who heard, the some seed fell on the wayside. Now, the peculiar thing about the wayside, Jesus said, I am the way. Now, the, the word wayside and, and Jesus saying, I am the way, the same word, hodas, it's the way. But he said, uh, and he said that there, by, by the wayside, there's the issue. By is para, alongside of the way. And so here we have by the wayside or a, a parallel to the 
wayside, alongside of the wayside. You see, the wayside is near the way. It runs parallel with the way, but it is not the way. Now, this is a very important understanding. I never had this idea, never had this. The Holy Spirit just started opening this while I was teaching, and I just, I just kept going. So when we have a parallel to the way, literally the multitude that heard Jesus teach that day could have been considered those on the wayside. They were right alongside of Jesus, but they were not in the way. And I believe every one of these types of soil has some relationship to God's word. If you're very careful to look at that uh, wayside, uh, stony places among the thorns and good soil, every one of them received the word. And so the word of God was being preached or being sown to this to this uh, in their ground. But. Uh, only one bore fruit. And so there's all types of relationships to the Word of God, but not every one of those are going to end up bearing fruit or see the kingdom of God or enter, live, have eternal life and live eternally with Jesus. So we see that they begin well, end badly, or they begin with a shaky start, end badly. Uh, but the, the bottom line is that only one bears fruit. And so I want you to examine your own life while we're teaching this and say, what kind of soil do I have? Do I pursue Jesus after the big meeting? Do I really try to seek him out and try to get an understanding? It's one thing that you heard a sermon. It's one thing that you, your, your curiosity got peaked or pricked and, and you, and you, 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 you just wanted to know, but it's another thing to pursue him get alone with him and wrestle this out until your understanding opens. The wayside hearer, I believe this could represent multitudes who go to church. I really do. They, 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 they get right alongside the way, but they are not in the way. Make no, no, no bones about that. Make no mistake here. They are not in the way. Jesus said, I am the way. Exclusively, there is no other way but the way of Christ. Uh, and when you consider the way of Jesus, the teachings of Christ, Christ, the life of Christ and how he lives. I can tell you right now, there are those who have, uh, they know about Jesus, they read their Bibles, all that, but they're not in the way. They're not following Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, give them just about anything to do and they'll go do it. And uh, I, I want to point out to you, when they hear the message, immediately the devil comes, the Satan himself comes and takes away. And literally that word, he takes away that was sown. It's like he raises it up. He flies off with it and, and goes away with it. And I mean, so Satan has this kind of access into those type of hearers. They're right alongside the way with Jesus. They're parallel in the teachings of Jesus, but they're not in the way. And the word comes and the next thing you know, they're at country fest or they're, or they're drinking beer. Or they go to the ballroom, they go out dancing, they go smoking dope. They're living with their uh, boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever friend now. And so we, we see that they're, they're just literally, uh, they, they hear those teachings of Jesus. They, they're, they, they're good church going folks. But let me tell you something, folks, they're not following the way of Christ. My Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there be that go in there. But narrow is the way, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And I want to tell you, folks, if there's anything that can epitomize the, the way of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way exclusive. I am the way. There are no other ways. Muhammad is not the way. The Virgin Mary is not the way. Praying to statues is not the way. I'm telling you, just church attendance is not the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, 
Not a truth, not your truth, his truth, this truth. Not the truth is that which agrees with final reality. And I want to tell you, there's many things that are real, but they are not true. And there's much reality going on today that is not truth. Lies are true, are real, but they're not true. And so fornication is a real relationship, but it's not a true relationship. And fornicators will go to hell. And so we can see all kinds of true uh, realities and not define the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And you might be living it up to what you call living, but that way uh, will end in death. And I tell you, you don't want to find out about the second death. You don't want to know that here. Folks, let me tell you, Jesus said, I am the way. And there are many on the wayside, right alongside, parallel with Jesus, but they are not in the way. Now, the, I believe Isaiah epitomized this teaching with a great teaching in Isaiah chapter 35. If you want to uh, let me, if you let me walk you through that little passage here, Isaiah 35. I'll start reading verse one. Isaiah prophesied a lot concerning the millennial age, the millennial reign of Christ. I believe this is one of those prophecies, but it, this also leads up to the millennial. And he said, the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the deaf, ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway that shall be there and, and, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. But it shall be for others, whoever walks the road, although a fool shall not go astray, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go upon it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return, would come with singing unto Zion, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrowing sigh, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I want you to see it in verse 8. Uh, eight, a highway shall be there and a road and it shall be called the highway of holiness. Jesus said, I am the way. And I believe that way is a way of high holiness. It is a separated way. It's a lonely way. It's a way that uh, the multitudes are not on this way. Multitudes are running parallel with Jesus, but they're not in the way. Broad is the way where the multitude go. But I want to tell you what, the way, the exclusive way is a way of holiness. And folks don't want to hear that today. As a matter of fact, the holiness of God is all but diminished in this hour. Most people can tell you about the love of God frontwards, backwards, upwards, sideways. They all talk about the love of God. And yes, God loves us. And I am so thankful that he does. But hear me carefully. God is holy. And the most, uh, the, the most significant identity, the first attribute of his character that we would see in God, when, the, when everyone saw God, they said, holy, 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 not love, love, love. 
They immediately saw that God was separated. God was different and unique and far above his holiness. And when the redeemed of the Lord, the ransom of the Lord walk in the way of God, it's a holy that when we pursue God in the way of holiness, uh, where we've separated ourselves from the world, separated ourselves from sin. Not that we don't want to engage with sinners or that we don't love them. We certainly want to engage them and tell them about this wonderful way and this way of Christ. But let me tell you, folks, this way has been made broader. I don't want to make it any narrower than it's supposed to be. But I want to tell you, there are many preachers who flung the gates open so wide that Satan can walk into heaven. It's not that way, folks. Some seed fell on the wayside. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of preaching that I believe is just wayside preaching. Multitudes come there. They hear the word. The devil comes in. Their relationship is so loose with God that the devil has access in and out of their heart. Even while the word of God's being preached. This is a terrible thing. It lacks anointing. It lacks any type of preparations of the heart. It's just, oh, let's, I'm curious. Everybody goes there. That's the big mega church. Oh, I heard it's wonderful. I heard it's chicken soup for the soul. I heard it's inspirational. Oh, the music is good. It's entertaining. Oh, it's the best. You should hear it. You should be there. And so people come, they see that and they couldn't care less. They could, it doesn't stop their partying. It doesn't stop their worldliness. As a matter of fact, the preachers and the, all those who, who lead the worship will be right there alongside of them. Uh, they'll be singing go tigers and shouting baseball things and football things. And Oh, they'll be talking about the world and money and prosperity. They'll talk about everything the world talks about. One mention of holiness and that crowd would reduce to nothing. One mention of repentance and there wouldn't be no one left. Because it's just the world. This is wayside. Oh, the word is sown there. But I tell you, you have to, even a blind hog finds an acre and sometimes I I'll tell you right now that not many are going to get truly saved in that atmosphere because the devil has free reign and access into that kind of heart. And he comes away and takes away that which is sown in the heart. It's no problem to hear the word preach, go straight to the crawfish ball and get drunk and, 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 and fall out. No, no problem at all. And think you're saved. This is a wayside here. It's a terrible condition. And I believe it defines many people today. All right, let's read the next one. Let's go back to uh, uh, Mark chapter 4. I believe there's a lot of wayside here. As a matter of fact, I really believe that day Jesus cast off from the shore a little ways. The multitudes are right there on the side of the hill. He's preaching to multitudes. There's no telling how many people were there. And he just told them the sower went out to sow. Some fell on the wayside. And the birds ate it. Some fell on stony places. It sprung up. Then it shrunk back because of heat and persecution tests. Some fell among the thorns. It choked the word. And some fell among good ground and, and bore fruit. Some 30, 60, and 100 fold. That was it. That's the end of the sermon. So the disciples follow him to the, when he was alone and said, what did you mean? He said, for you, it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to those who are without, that multitude could be considered those who are without. They're right there parallel. They're listening to Jesus teach. They're, they're musing over it. They're thinking about it, but they're not going to pursue Christ. 
They're not going to follow him to the secret place and say, teach me, Lord, help me to understand. I must know what this means for my life. Very few follow him in the way. Many are called, but few are chosen. Let's go to the next one. Look at it carefully. We're in verse uh, uh, 14. I'm going to reread it. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And, I, and I've said this for, for ages. I mean, my goodness, I'll go get along with God and, and carve out this. I mean, God gives me this word and I come to the pulpit of fire with it. Preach this word that I think is going to change lives. I do. I think I really believe when I preach, it's going to change your life. And folks, live times that, that they do. But I mean, folks will hear the word and I mean, un, I mean, unfazed by the word of the Lord. Totally unfazed. It has never ceased to amaze me. I've said it from the pulpit from time to time when we're in the old buildings and the, doing church the old way. I, I, I would say, I don't even know why people come to this church. Why do you come to this church? You don't do anything I ever preach. Not one thing. You know, it always amazed me. Keep reading. Watch what it says. These likewise, likewise. Now notice that. So he's comparing them to wayside believers, but just a little different. He said, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, notice this word immediately, they receive it with gladness or joy. Uh, that's kara, where we get the word charismatic. And they have no root in themselves. Boy, that's charismatic and endure for a time. And afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Wow. Immediately they stumble. So immediately they receive, immediately they stumble. Well, these are quick. But hear me carefully. These are those who are sown in the stony place. Now, I believe the stony heart, the stony ground and the stony hearts is a hardened heart. It is maybe not the whole heart is hardened, but it's it's covered. There's a covering. It's it, it, literally it's like a um, it's, it's kind of folded into the soil. There's some soil there, but it's so full of rocks, it's not conducive to planting. And it has to uh, it, it can bear bear fruit. It can literally spring up. But the depth of earth is so shallow because it hits that hardened place, that hardness that calloused area, that impenetrable area. Again, these folks have an, a relationship to God's word. They hear it and immediately receive it with gladness. Now, I, I just I do not think there's an accident here that the word there is where we get the word charismatic from. <laughs> that, that this joy, this gladness, this whoo, I'm so happy to hear that. This is good news. Woo! Hallelujah. Isn't that great? They're the amen corner. They're the shouters. They were, whoo, isn't that good word? That's good stuff there. You see, you know, notice I'm putting this in relationship to church people because it is. It's relationship. People who have a relationship with God's word, they hear the word and immediately receive it. They pull it. Oh, yeah, that word's for me. This is my word. And immediately they begin to have gladness and joy about the word of God. And we think, oh, they're saved. Let's baptize them. Oh, they're saved. We ought to put them on the board. Oh, they're saved. Let's 
put them before the church because they're really good Christians. They're really, really, really good saved. These are really, really saved people. But the first time a little heat is applied, persecution, affliction, any pressure concerns about the word, just as quick as they came, they go. Immediately. Isn't that amazing? Immediately they receive it. Immediately they lose it. And this is what happens when a heart is hardened. Now, folks, the hardened heart, I believe, is a terrible condition. The stony place. It's not all stony, but there's so much rock in there, it could never allow roots to develop. The heart is so hardened, it could not allow roots to sink downward. This is a terrible condition, and I believe when we go through this, that many of you are going to see yourself as it is. I want to talk to you about hardness tonight. As a matter of fact, it's the main crux of this message tonight. So let's start in the book of Mark is literally loaded with this word. And we're going to deal with that uh, from Mark's word uh, in particular. Let's go to Mark chapter uh, three, verses one through six. Verse one says, and he entered into the synagogue again, and a man was there which had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. So they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. But when he had looked around at them with anger, wait a minute, Jesus got angry. Being grieved by their hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. These jealous zealots, uh, they, they were zealous for their own religious activities, but they hated Jesus Christ. And you make no mistake, there are many zealots for religion who hate Jesus Christ right now. Jesus picked this fight that day. I want you to notice that he picked the fight with the scribes and Pharisees. He did this. He did it on purpose. They were watching to see there's a man in the Sabbath in the synagogue with a withered hand. And they were watching closely to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. And he asked the question, hey, is it okay to heal or to to make alive on the Sabbath or to destroy? They wouldn't answer him. They're watching. He says, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand. Can you imagine getting mad at that? Could you imagine being angry because someone was made whole or was helped on the Sabbath? Could you imagine that your religion is your religious service was more important than helping that person out of a long time affliction? This is a reality. Got Jesus killed eventually. He looked at them and he was angered. He was angry that the religious zeal, but they actually hated Jesus. You talk about a type of likewise. The stony ground was like the wayside here. Likewise. That's what he said when he began to introduce the stony ground. Likewise. Oh, they're alongside hearing the word, but their hearts are so hardened. He was grieved because of their hardness of heart. They did not want 
the power of God messing up their Sabbath. Wouldn't it be horrible if the power of God moved on our, messed up our religious service today? It would be terrible if the choreographed service went off track and the people got healed. That would be horrible. We didn't pull off our performance as uh, prescribed. That would be terrible. We didn't meet the time frames. It'd be horrible. The sound equipment was messed up. It would be horrible. He was grieved. He was angry and grieved at them for their hardness of heart. They didn't want to see people actually helped. They just wanted to pull off their service, entertain the crowd, rake in the money and go home. Mark chapter eight. We can keep going. Oh, my goodness. If that ain't terrible, direct TV calling me at the middle of this thing. I'm so sorry, people. Now my ringer's off. Forgive me, please. Well, that was a rookie mistake. All right, chapter 8 of Mark and verse 15. Then he charged himself. Well, let me back up a little bit. Verse 13, and he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. And they did not have any, uh, in, have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So be, take heed of religious and political doctrine. Whoops. Beware of it. That's about all folks talk about now. Religion and politics. Boy, when Trump comes, he's going to be our savior. We'll get that old Biden out the way, but we'll be saved then. Hallelujah. Trump's there saying, come on, man. It's religion. Beware of that doctrine, folks. You're talking about deceptive. Keep going. Watch. But Jesus being aware, they reasoned among themselves saying, it's because we have no bread. But Jesus being aware of it said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you see not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves of the 5,000? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? See, the hardness of heart will dull your hearing. You may have been one who could hear the word of God. But I want you to notice here, they saw two powerful miracles of feeding multitudes. They witnessed, they were, they were participating in these miracles. And then when they were lacking bread, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Beware of religion and politics. I'm telling you, this stuff will derail you from your walk with Jesus. And, and look, they, they literally, he, he accused them of exactly what he told them whenever he went to explain parables to him. How is it that you don't understand? You have eyes and you can't see ears, but you can't hear hearts that don't understand. How is it that you're hardened? You see, folks, even people who have received miracles can become hardened. Even those who've been around and participated in the miraculous can become hardened. 
This should scare us to death. This should frighten us how quickly things come and go in the human condition. How quickly these events can come, ebbs and tides, ebbs and flow. We can just, it, it, all of a sudden we're on fire, now we're not. We're, we're believing, now we're not. We're full of faith, now we're not. I mean, it, it's a terrible thing that we could come to a place where now all of a sudden you just fed 5,000, you just fed 4,000 with miraculous provision, just little bits of handfuls of food. And now you're in unbelief. We only have one loaf of bread. How quickly we can come by that. How quickly we can lose that. And that instead of moving from faith to faith and glory to glory, you see, the just shall live by faith. And just because you had a miracle yesterday don't mean you got one today. Just because you're moving in the power of God and you've seen that in times past don't mean you still are. You see, folks, unless we break up the fallow ground, our heart will get hardened. This is a continual process in work and has to be done regularly. Finney said, don't ever let it go two weeks without breaking up your fallow ground. We should check the, the, the texture of our heart, the, 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 the firmness or the, or the looseness of our heart. We should test our own soil. Are we broken hearted? Is our soil uh, conducive to receive seed? Does the word still prompt and move us? Does it prompt us to go to the secret place with God? Does it cause us to go find out God? Probably if not, you probably have a hardened heart. You're in the wayside. You're, you're, you're right there alongside. You're parallel with Jesus. Likewise with this, with the wayside here, but your heart is hardened. You'll receive a little, but not much. And the first pressure gets on it, you're gone. Mark chapter 10. Verse, verse. I wrote a whole book about this one called The Covenant of Marriage. Verse 1, then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. Multitudes gathered to him again, and he was, as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? He answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he who wrote you this, he wrote you this precept. Look at there. Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation of God, made, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Wow. Now that little phrase, the beginning of the creation of God, from the beginning of creation, it was never intended that a, 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 the covenant of marriage would ever be broken from the beginning of creation. Never intended that. Uh, as a matter of fact, in, at the turn of the century in, in uh, January of 2021, I remember um, the Lord really gave me a word from Revelation chapter 3. And, and, and as Jesus introduced himself to the Laodicean church age, he said, I am... Uh, uh, I am the, aim, the, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, beginning and the end. I am the, uh, the true witness. I am the Amen, the true witness. 
the amen, the faithful and true witness. That's how it goes. And so when he, we, we, he talked to Laodiceans about this and he said, I am the beginning of the creation of God. And I really believe this is a, a pointed statement to the Laodicean church age that we should go back to the things from the beginning of the creation of God. And it's amazing to me. I released this book uh, on the creation of marriage and the same day that Barack Obama overturned the Defense of Marriage Act. And really ushered in what we're seeing now with the, with the, the, the craziness of, of, of gender confusion and, and, and transvestite and uh, more than one genders and pansexual and blah, blah, blah. It's just it, the insanity that's been loosed on our earth since the turn of the century is, is really a, a mark that we are in the Laodicean church age. And it's really, uh, uh, Thus says the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That's how he introduced himself. Thank you. It came back to me. So when we, when, when we see where we are as, as a church age, the beginning of the creation of God is very important. And so right in the beginning of the creation, God made the man, then he made the female, and they two became one flesh, he said. And so the two became one. And, and so he said, it never was intended that that would ever be separated. He said, but Moses gave you the certificate of divorce because of what? The hardness of hearts. You see, I believe this goes into all of the issues of covenant. I believe that this starts with a hardness of heart in our relationship to God. And then it is played out with our relationship to our spouses and our relationship to our church folks, our relationship to friends that literally we get hardened in our heart and we just don't love like we used to. It was the Laodicean church age that became lukewarm. They didn't have, they weren't hot, they weren't cold, they were just a complacent, lethargic church. And it's where we are today. Nobody really even cares. I mean, the statistic has been for years and years, decades now, that says 50% of marriages end in divorce. Well, almost nobody gets married anymore. And what a travesty that still 50% end in divorce and almost no one gets married. It's a terrible thing. But he said, from the hardness of your heart, Moses gave you this precept. This is a terrible thing. And when we consider the hardness of heart in our relationships, number one, with God, you see, we start covenant. If you're going to have any substance to your covenant, it should start with a covenant with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. By the blood of Jesus, I enter into covenant with God. By faith, I believe that his blood, that blood covenant by faith has washed away my sins, has sealed the covenant, and now I am in communion and covenant with God, and he adopts me into his family. And you see, that's our covenant. Then when we get married, we say, till death do us part. That is a blood covenant. You swear on your own life that you will not separate. Nothing but death will separate us. That is a blood oath. It's a blood covenant. You have sworn between God, before God and witnesses that you will stay together. And folks, Throw this away like it's meaningless. We don't have any clue about covenants. Why? The hardness of hearts. Hearts are so hard right now. Relationships are so virtual right now. They're not even real. We don't know how to love people. You you talk to some of these young people right now and just get them along and just start talking to them. They cannot talk. They have no ability to talk to you. It's absolutely mind-boggling. They freeze up, can't speak. Their brains have been rewired 
with social rewiring that is absolutely frightening. And we're building a whole army of 2 Timothy 3 kind of people. Perilous times will come because people will be just trapped in their own virtual world and can't even communicate. The hardness of heart. Folks, can I tell you, when I came to Christ in the 80s, early 80s, when I would talk to people about the gospel, people were sensitive. They responded to the gospel. Now, the ground is so hard. No matter how hard you plow, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, you can say it with love. You can say it with fear. You can say it any kind of way. You can pipe. You can lament. You can go anywhere. I'm just telling you, they don't care. They don't care. The only thing that people care about is when it personally knocks on their door and all of a sudden they get hit with it. Then all of a sudden their care is wide open because it's just self, selfishness. This is an alarming thing. Because of the hardness of heart, divorce. Look, one of the things I am very thankful for, the first thing is my covenant with Jesus. The second, my covenant with my wife. 41 years we've been married. 42 years I've been in covenant with Jesus. 41 years in covenant with my wife. And when I think of the friendships that I have right now that span those 40 years, one of my good friends, 50-year friendship, a 50-year friendship, I thank God for long-term friends. I I thank God for people that 10, 20, 30, 40 year friendships. This is cultivated. This this happens over a period of time. This happens in the middle of anointings and afflictions and hardships. And we keep loving Jesus together. We keep loving each other. We go through good times. We go through bad, but we keep staying in love with each other. Turn with me to Mark 16. Look, I'm not here to condemn anybody who's gone through something. Let me tell you one thing. If you're under conviction, good. I hope the Holy Spirit would break some hearts. See, this is what it takes to break up the fallow ground. Somewhere, something, a heavy instrument has to hit hard in the stony place and break something. It has to move the earth. It has to remove the stuff, pulling those stones up. It's an amazing thing. You go to Africa and some of the third world countries I've been in, stone fences everywhere. It's because as they cultivate the soil, stones keep coming up. And this is an amazing thing about the human heart. You never know. All of a sudden, why is my heart hard here? They just come up. They just keep coming up. Even when you're cultivating, especially when you're cultivating, the stones keep coming up. And so, what are we going to do with all these rocks? Well, let's make a fence. <laughs> so they have these great fences, acres and acres, covered, surrounded with fences because the, the ground keeps pushing the rock up. Y'all, this is what needs to happen. Under natural working of the soil, it's no, it shouldn't appall any of us that we find out that our heart is hardened in a certain area. But what should appall us is that we've not worked the ground to bring the rocks up and the stones up. That's where we keep the, the heart turning it up and, 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 and good soil continuing. Mark 16. This is a really particular one that I really want to share you. Verse 14. Later, he appeared to the eleven, even as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. 
because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Wow. I want you to notice he rebuked them because they did not believe the testimony of those who had seen him alive from the dead. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Folks, this again is very revealing that these folks have a relationship with Jesus, yet their hearts got hard. Almost as he told them over and over again, the son of man is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be delivered up to the, uh, the, the religious leaders are going to deliver him to Pontius Pilate and they're going to be crucified, died. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. He told them that four or five, maybe six times. I can't recall how many times, but he kept telling them, I'm going to die in Jerusalem and be buried and I'm going to rise from the dead. He told him over and over again, and he died, was buried, and on the third day, the reports are coming in. He's risen. Nope. Nope. Unbelief. Folks, the 11 who were left, you couldn't have got men three to three and a half years. They walked day in and day out with Jesus. They were so impacted with him. They saw his miracles. They took part in the miracles. They got anointing and began to do the miracles. Now he's gone and they refused to believe that he'd risen as he said he would. You, you and I, if they could do that, what about me and you? You don't think your heart can get hardened? Well, I'm saved. Man, that little phrase right there is going to send more people to hell. I think it's a really a mask for hard-heartedness in most cases. Well, I'm saved. We throw that down. It's supposed to make you witness-proof. In other words, nobody's supposed to tell you anything because I'm saved. Well, I know that. Well, you know it and you can't live it. Well, you're going to double hell, triple hell, lower hell, Tartarus hell. You're going to the where the devil's going to reside. You know it and won't do it, then you're the most demonized human I know. Well, can, is that fair? Why not? Jesus call it unbelief and hardness of heart. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter um, 3, please. Look at verse 12. Beware, brethren. Now look at it. Who, who are the brethren? That's Christian folks. Beware. What's beware mean? Look out. Look out. Warning. Danger, danger, danger. Beware, brethren. Wait a minute. This is a warning to people who are called brethren. Church folk. Okay, stay. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Why? Okay. And I know there's multitudes out there that believe that this cannot happen. So the Bible must just be way dumber than Calvinists because Calvinists know better. This says beware. It tells us to beware. It tells us that the person with stony ground received the word and he sprung up with gladness. He received it. He doesn't tell us how long he lasted, but he didn't last. Oh, he never really was saved. Well, that's just stupid. That's not what Jesus said. The word sprang up and was doing what it was supposed to do. And then it died. 
That's a terrible thing. Well, they never really were saved. Boy, that's got to be the goofiest, most demonic comeback I've ever heard in my life. Stay with it. Beware, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another today, daily while it's called today, lest in, in any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hardened. You see, I believe this starts and this is where we enter into the unbelief. The Bible talks about where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. We're in a generation where sin is abounding. I know every generation has had its sins. I'm 65 years old. I've been saved for 42 years. And I'm telling you, I've never seen anything like what's going on right now. Not even close. So don't talk to me and say it's always been. Yeah, there's always been sin, but something else is afoot right now. We are in the most demonic time I've ever witnessed and experienced myself. And the fact is that sin is abounding in such. Look, sin is even fashionable. They're erasing anything with the word sin on it. Now you're just you're you're not a drunkard. You have a disease. You know, it's a disease. Okay, so, okay. And so there's no more demons anymore. You have a mental health issue. You have an emotional health issue. Well, there, no, nothing's a demon in it. There's no more demons. Ever, no, none. Zero. None. All right? We, we've literally taken sin out of the full vocabulary. You've made a mistake. Oh, you know, we all, error is human. Forgive is divine. We, we've literally taking the word sin out of every vocabulary going. There is no sin anymore. Tell me what a sin is anymore. Tell me anything that will send you to hell anymore. You can go into the most rank sinner's funeral. Well, he's in a better place now. Wow. Exactly then who goes to hell? Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, when sin becomes normalized, that there's no consequence, when churches accept every form of sin going, when there is no repercussion, no consequence, no one ostracizes, no one shuns, no one has any difference whatsoever. Oh, you know, we just uh, tolerate, you know, we tolerate. That's the key, you know, the, the, the key virtue of Christianity is tolerance, isn't it? Isn't it? No. That's the key virtue of humanism. Tolerance against the things that God stands up for, in my opinion, is just the manifestation of fear and cowardice in the hearts and minds of those who claim to be his followers. Absolute yellow dog cowards. I got no other word for it. Simple as that. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. When sin becomes normalized, we can harden our hearts to it. And as a matter of fact, begin to accept it. I've had close, dear friends who one day decide, you know, they were teetotalers and had gotten saved from uh, all the, the, the issues of barroom style living and drunkenness and all. Lived for years and years, alcohol free, clean as a whistle. And one day they decided we should drink. Drinking's okay. Drinking's of God. Drinking is freedom. There's liberty in the Lord, brother. We parted ways. 
They didn't just leave. I told them to. I don't want to fellowship with that. I can't fellowship with that. Hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Is our hearts getting hardened? You watch a TV show now, they're normalizing homosexuality. Every commercial is normalizing diverse family. It was like two daddies and, you know, you got to have four or five nationalities at the same ta- table. It's like that. That's a strain to even make up that that happened. OK, everything is being normalized for the deceitfulness of sin. And it's hardening our hearts, people. It makes us immune to the word or we have little spurts of gladness. We immediately get happy. We immediately reject immediately. We immediately receive. We immediately reject. This is the shallowness. Boy, they should have written. This is the charismatic churches. Hardness of heart. Some seed fell in the stony places and immediately it sprung up. They received the word with gladness and immediately, yay, I'm so happy. And then the sun came up, a little bit of heat, a little bit of fire, a little bit of affliction, a little bit of persecution. Immediately I reject this. Is that you? Are you like that? Are you a fair weather saint? Is your heart so hardened that you can't even differentiate between sin and righteousness any longer? Is there no differentiate or is it some? Ve- wow. Well, it's been an attack on this sermon tonight, folks. Wow. I'm not even there anymore. Where's my? <laughs> That's hilarious. I don't even have a feature anymore. They will let me get back there. Wow. This is crazy. (laughs) There I am again. Y'all, this is so bizarre. The phone just leapt out at me out of my little holder there. And, uh, it's been one of them kind of direct TV called me now this. I think I'm on to something stony ground here. You see, does this define your heart? Have you become so hardened that seeing lifestyles that God calls an abomination? You just said, oh, well, that, you know, that's just how our generation is now. Are we going to accept that? This is just a terrible place to be in, folks, if we're going to accept it. It's time to break up the fallow ground. It's time to churn it up. It's time. Look, it's no surprise that there are hardened places in our hearts. That happens. All right. The big deal is that we fail to work the ground until it comes up. The, the stones come out and we're pliable where we can receive seed. Every one of these soils had a relationship to God's word. But only one brought forth good fruit. Just examine your life just for a little while. Can the devil enter your life at will? Can you hear the, can you read your devotionals in the next minute? Your, 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 the devil has access to you. Can you literally 
hear the word of God, get all happy about it, and in the blink of an eye, you're rejecting it. You see, these are, these are conditions of the heart that should alarm you. These are warnings from, from, from the, words, the words of Jesus. He's trying to warn you. Do something about your heart. Break up your fallow ground. Get alone with Jesus and let your heart break before Him. I'm going to stop before the whole tripod jumps on me and the, something else happens, but go consider it. Go, go get along with Jesus. Am I a wayside here? Am I just alongside of the way, but I'm not in the way? My life is not holy, and I don't want anything to do with it. Is that you? Or my, my see, I, I'm, I'm quick to have faith, and I'm quick to lose it, just as quick to lose it. Is that you? Come back next week and we're going to talk about the, thorn, the, the, the word sown among the thorns. God bless and I pray you'll connect with Jesus as you seek Him. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's Word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www dot housechurchesusa.com